God's good, isn't he? Amen. You glad, huh? You glad it's Easter? Because he lives. I can face tomorrow. Oh, that's good stuff. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that we are your children, that we're in your house today, and you're speaking in a, into us. I thank you, Father, that you don't just know our name. You're calling out our name. Father, you are reaching out to us. And I thank you, Father, that we reach back this morning as we raise our hands and we praise your name and we sing the, the wonderful praises in the, of the wonderful works of Jesus. Father, I thank you that you are praised, that, that you feel the glory and the adoration that's going your direction, Father, as we lift up our hands. Now, Father, as we sit down to break the word and just to hear from you today, Father, I thank you that our hearts are open and good ground. I thank you that our ears are open and that they hear. I thank you, Father, that the word that goes into our heart, Father, I thank you that it grows up a harvest in our lives and that we reap, Father, not just a uh, uh, not just a sprout, but we reap a tree that brings forth fruit in our lives because of the word that is planted today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Woo, you may be seated. God's good. It is great to have you. Great to see you. Praise God. Yeah, that was a little, I kind of cheated the first service there a bit. Darn it. After I got done, and was, I was so excited to come up and just, just begin to jumping up and down about, about Jesus and what he did at Easter. I, Lori came up to me after the service and said, there were two parts to the song. And I said, oh, you're right. And that second part was good. So uh, we made sure we got that in, in today. So uh, if you're with us and just, just haven't been here for a while, the last couple of weeks we've been sharing a series that uh, he knows your name. And uh, today we're going to conclude that by, by sharing a little message that says he's calling your name. But he doesn't just know your name, but he's calling your name. A couple weeks ago, we said that, that Easter was the greatest reclamation project that there ever was. That Jesus came in, really truly, to this earth to recover all of the things that were stolen and that were lost when sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden. You know the story probably where Adam and Eve had sinned. They ate, we say, the apple, and, and then sin consciousness entered into the world at that moment. And from that time until Calvary, God put together a plan to send Jesus into this earth to die a horrific death, to come as a man, not as the Godhead, but to come as a man representing the Godhead in this earth, to walk blameless and sinless so that he could be the perfect sacrifice, so that that veil could be rent and torn because of the blood of that sacrifice of Jesus. And what he got in return was all of us. What he got in return was all the opportunity to have relationship restored with mankind. You are his prize possession. You are and I am. It's a personal thing. It's a personal situation. Two weeks ago, we talked about in 2 Kings, Elisha, and we talked about the guild of the prophets and how the church was growing. You know, the place where they were worshiping was growing so fast that the, the prophets came to, came to Elijah, the chief, and said, hey, I'm just telling you, it's going too fast here. We can't house all the people. Can we go out and start cutting down timbers to build a new house? And he said, well, definitely. Let's grow a bigger house. Amen. We need a bigger house. So we keep praying. We're right there with Elisha. But he sends them out. I'm not going to send you out to go hew wood today or anything. But he sends them out. And the prophet is cutting. And as he's cutting, the axe head snapped. And it went into the... I won't throw it either. It went into the water. And when the axe head landed in the, in the river, the prophet was upset because it wasn't his axe. It was a borrowed axe. 
And on that day, we said that Jesus came into this earth to recover. And it was to recover you and me, but it was also to recover the things that we have lost, not just the things that he has lost. That the things that God has, has brought into your life that maybe through situations and circumstances, maybe it's hurt, maybe it's unforgiveness, whatever it was in your life, he came to, re- to restore in your life the things that the enemy had stolen. And in this story, Elisha cared enough about this young prophet who came to him and said, but my axe was borrowed. It wasn't even mine. And the man of God who's busy about the growing church and the growing business that, things that, that God was doing at the time took down the, the switch, took the thing off the tree and threw it out into the water and the axe head floated. But there was a second part to that. The prophet had to reach his hand out and grab hold of the axe head. And we said at the end of that message that, that really truly he came to recover, but we need to reach out in faith and we need to reclaim the things that maybe we have lost in our life. And really, it, maybe it was in your life the fact that, that you had just lost your life that you had just wandered away or gone astray or whatever it was. Maybe it, maybe it was a relationship or maybe it was something that was happening in your life that the enemy stole. It was a great opportunity to understand and realize that God came to recover. Then last week we talked about the trade, that Jesus came to perform the first part of the trade. It was his life for ours. And in the art of the trade, you're, you're trying to get the better end of the bargain. And we sit from this side knowing that we got the best end of that bargain at Calvary. But I am telling you, from God's perspective, as he was putting the plan in place, he was looking at us and realizing that he was getting the better end of the bargain because he was going to send his son in this earth to die for us so that he could have all of us in his life. He wanted relationship with us. That's why he created man in the first place. And you may be saying, well, he probably doesn't want to talk to me. He probably doesn't. Yes, he does. He wants to have a relationship with you just as much as he does with me, just as much as he does with the person next to you. And the story we used last week was my Batman, right? And it was my little Batman that I stole from my little five-year-old friend. Actually, it was three at the time, Liam. I stole him fair and square. left him in my office, finders keepers. He was mine. But, but when it all came down and he realized I had Batman, we had to make a trade. Because I, I, I had a real weird thing and I wanted Batman bad. So I, I, had to, I, I, I gave him five bucks for Batman. If you were here last week, you hold the, heard the whole story. You can check it out at victorylafayette.org and hear the whole thing. But I, I, I said, okay, here's the deal, dude. I'll give you five bucks. You give me Batman. And it represented many, many, I'm telling you, it represents many of us in the things that we go through in our life because we know that God came to make a trade with us, to trade all of our junk and all of our hurt and all of our pain for all of his goodness. See, he came to trade his life for our miserable, wretched life. It says we were all like sheep had gone astray in Isaiah. So we were all a mess. But when I gave him the five bucks, you know what he did? He grabbed the five bucks, snatched Batman, and jumped in the van. And I said, hold on, little buddy, and pulled the door back. This, I know you're only three, but this is serious. Hey, you got my five bucks, and you got my Batman. Something's coming my way. We're not, we're not, uh, <laughs> I want my Batman. He, 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 he had to give up something, right? He had to, he had to give up something. Well, 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 Jesus came, and he started his part of the bargain by giving up his life for us, but we have to, in turn, give up our life for him. And then I said the story and used the story of the monkey and how to catch a monkey and that they, they hollow out a coconut just big enough for the hand to get in there and they fill it with peanuts. They attach it to a tree and the little monkey gets his hand in there and holds on. And we're like that little monkey many times in our life, not letting go of something. And the little monkey will hold on to those peanuts until he's so exhausted that he's just hanging limp right there and the people just come by and pick up the monkey, hack off his hand, and now he's there dinner that night. The enemy, it says, is out there to steal, kill, and to destroy, and he acts as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and he is looking for the person who won't let go of that thing that God's asking them to let go of. You become prey for the enemy. And so in that particular message, as we talked last week, we said it's time to let go of those things that are holding us back, to complete the trade and say, okay, my junk, I'm going to leave it in the coconut, and I'm going to come after you. 
I want to be who you called me to be. And today we're going to talk about the fact that the gospel is a love story. And that Easter is not only the greatest reclamation project, and it's not the greatest trade that was ever made, it's also the greatest love story that was ever written. That Jesus came into this earth, and he gave his life for you and for me. It says in, in John chapter, chapter 3, verse 15, or verses 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him will not pass away or perish, but he will have everlasting life. And it goes on in verse 17 and says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent him that the world through him would be saved. He came to, to make that trade, to make that, to make that exchange. His Son for us. His life for ours. I'm a little bit of a sucker, and I, and I, and I love the uh, love story. So and I know it's just another little uh, thing that I'm opening up to all of you. But I, I am kind of a sucker for a love story in the movies. I know they're chick flicks and all those kind of things. And if I cry, I do it out of one eye, and I do it quite like this. But I, 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 am, a, I am a sucker for the, for the romantic love story. I think it's great. I, 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 there's something about it that just it, it sucks me in. I'll act like I don't want to go, just like the rest of you guys. But you know when you get in there, and you're surrounded by all of that, and, and she's going, oh, and that, you're like oh and here's the thing that's got to happen though in the end the right guy's got to get with the right girl they got to match up because that'll make there's nothing that makes me matter and make me never i never watched what's that one movie where they engage that engagement thing we're in the gazebo that's the one i just said my best i don't know what it is but it's got my best friend's wedding yep never watch that movie it's stupid they sucker you in the whole time and you just know they're going to go out to that gazebo. I think that's the way that it ends. And you know they're going to get together. And I was so happy and my heart was beating so... And then it's like, I can't be with you anymore and walked away. And I was like, no, you've just ruined like an hour and a half of my life. I'm so invested in these, these fictional characters that it's just... It breaks my heart. It's got, it's got to go right. I mean, I just... That's just the way it is. Now, let me tell you about this love story, though, at Easter. See, it's got to go right. See, we got, we got to end up, in the end, we got to end up with the right person, and that right person is Jesus. See, it's a love story, and it was written, and for that thing to have a happy ending in the end, really, truly, it, we have to get our stuff together, we have to complete the trade, give our life for his, and be part of his family. That's why they call him the bridegroom, and us the bride, because it's a love story, and he's calling us to him. Now, you have a choice, and I have a choice. We, we each one have a choice to make. And it was a precious gift that was given that day because, because God sent his son. I mean, he paid a, a heavy price for each one of us. But he loves you and he loves me enough to do it. And he would do it again. And I know really when we think about Easter and we think about Jesus coming and sacrificing himself to, to hang on that cross, we, we think about the masses and we think about the multitudes and we think about all the people that he did that for. But you know what? It's not just a, 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 a multi-generational sacrifice. It was a personal sacrifice. See, it wasn't just something that he did for all of mankind, although he did. It's a personal sacrifice that he did for you. He made that sacrifice for me, for the person next to you. He made it for your son, for your daughter. He made it for your great-grandchildren. He made it for each and every one of us, and it's personal. I mean, it was a a total, all-inclusive package, but it's revealed, and the revelation is found out individually. So it became really, truly a personal sacrifice. And he knows everything about you, and he knows your name. He knew Moses' name in Exodus 33. He even told him, I know your name. 
And because I know your name and because you have found grace in my sight, he says, I will show you my glory. And that's in Exodus 33, right before he puts him in the cleft of the rock and God passes around him. All Moses said was, I want to know who you are. I want to be part of your business. I want to be, be doing what you call me to do. I want our people to be separate from all those other people. I want to see you be big. I want to see your glory, God. And God said, you know what? Because I know your name and because you have found grace in my sight, I will show that to you. In Isaiah, he's actually talking to, 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 about Jacob. And he said, Jacob, I have called you by name. See, I haven't just heard of you. I haven't just brought you into the fold. I have actually called you by name. You don't have to be fearful, it says. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be scared. I know exactly who you are. And I think sometimes in this world, we have great opportunity to be afraid and to be scared. But if you go down there and you, be, and you begin to read that particular verse in Isaiah, it's, verse, it's chapter 43, 1 through 4. And it was God speaking, and I read it out of the message this morning, and it says, but now God's message, the God who made you in the first place, Jacob, the one who, who got you started, O Israel, Jacob's name changed. He said, don't be afraid, I've redeemed you, I've called you by name. And then he says, you're mine. You're mine. Don't be afraid. I have redeemed you. We used to sing that song, I've been redeemed, right, when you're little kids. So you've been redeemed. You are part of his family now. You are his. We say that, that, that I am his and he is mine. That's, that's the way. What does that mean? We've made the trade. And in your life, you need to make the trade. If you go on, though, from there, it says, when you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I'm your God. And then it says, your personal God. And I think sometimes that's a bit of a stretch for us mentally to think, oh, hold on, he's my personal God. But he wants to have what kind of relationship with you? A personal relationship. Don't we say when we ask people about Jesus, you want to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I mean, like you and him, not you and your neighbor or you and your wife and your kids and him, although that's part of it, him being in the midst of your household. But really, truly, do you as an individual want to have a personal relationship with God? And then that makes him your personal God. And that's what he said to Jacob. Hey, don't fret it. I am your personal God. I am your man. Don't be fearful. I called you. Don't worry when the water rises, I'll be there for you. Don't worry when, when, when the fires come, I'll be there for you. See, he says in Isaiah, I'll make a road in the wilderness. I'll make a river in the desert for you. But it doesn't matter what it is. If it's impossible, you face something today and say, well, it's impossible. It's never going to happen for me. Yeah, it can. Because God is the God of the impossible. He hasn't forgotten you. I think too many times we as believers, you know, if we get a little fearful, then we think, you know what? I've walked too far away. I've done too many things. <clears throat> it's never going to happen for me again. How many times, you know, do you wake up and re- think, oh, man, this, everybody's forgot me? little home alone, right? I mean, the poor little guy wakes up in the morning and everybody's gone to the airport and they've all flown to Europe. <laughs> he had a good time. <laughs> but, see, too many times we, 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 we feel like we've been abandoned. We feel like we've been forgotten. We feel like God has, has just, just kind of passed us by. And, and we don't want to put that on God. We don't want to blame him. We know it's, it's probably not his. It's, it's, it's me. It's things that I've done. I and, mean, you know, we're, we're trained to understand that there's, you know, in relationships, you know, I make a mistake. I have to pay for it for the rest of my life. And so, you know, if he's, if he's moved on and I feel forgotten, it must be something I've done. It must be something that I've gone through. And, and I've obviously screwed this up. That's not true. But that's what the enemy tells us. 
Like we said earlier, he is seeking whom he may devour. And see, not only does God know your name, he knows exactly who you are. He told Abram, hey, you're not Abram anymore. You're going to be called what? Abraham. I'm going to change your name. Why? Because I care enough about you to tell you what you're going to be, and therefore your name is going to match what you're going to be. And now I'm going to rename you. You're not Abram. You're Abraham, the father of many nations. And he had to live that, like we talked about before. He had to live that for a long time before he ever saw Isaac. And he didn't see his brood in his household become like the stars, but he believed that his lineage would be like the stars because God said. And because he believed God, God knew his name. God called him out. God spoke to him. God led him. God cared about him, and God took care of him. Because of all those things, Abraham became the God of many nations. He became the father of the faith. It's important. In Isaiah, if you read in verse 49, this is important. Because God keeps you close to his heart. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. He knows our thoughts. Don't shudder. It's okay. He also forgives us for some of those. But here's the deal. He knows everything about you, and he hasn't forgotten who you are. When you're going to the grocery or maybe when you were in high school or elementary school or somewhere along there, I don't know what it is, whether it was a musical you were in or a grocery list and things that you couldn't forget. When you would go, where do you write those things down? You write them on your, on your hand. I remember Chris, you know, Pastor Chris, our children's pastor, she used to sing up here all the time and, and sometimes somebody else would have to hold the mic because she'd have like every line to every song on her hand. <laughs> and so she'd be like, you know, la, la, la. La, la, la. I don't have my words. Yeah, you do. They're like all the way down your arm, all the way across here. They're like a whole thing's written down. You've done, you've done that. You go to the grocery or somebody says, you don't forget this. And in the last minute, you just say like, you know, okay, bread, you know, right on your hand. So you won't forget. You write things on your hand that you don't want to forget, right? I mean, that's what it is. God hasn't forgotten you. In Isaiah, it says, chapter 49, verses 14 and 16 says, but Zion, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. See, Zion was saying that, but the Lord answers and says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I, God said, will never forget you. See, it says in verse 16, I have inscribed you on what? The palms of my hand. I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. Why is that? He doesn't want to forget you. He knows everything about you. When you're off doing your thing or if you were with God one moment and you weren't before, I mean, he knows everything about you. He knows where you were yesterday. He knows where you're going tomorrow, and you're on his hand. You're on his mind. It says that, that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father ever doing what? Interceding for who? For you and for me. Well, why do you intercede for somebody? So that they have strength, so that they have wisdom, so that they have discernment, so that they have healing, so that they have joy, so that they have peace, so that they can complete the plan and the call that God has for their life. You, you do that for your own children, Correct. See, don't we spend time praying for and interceding for our kids? Maybe during the day when they come to our mind, maybe in the morning before they go to school, maybe at night before they go to bed. We pray that God blesses them, that he takes care of them, that he protects them, that he does all those things. What do you think Jesus is doing ever interceding for us? So whose mind are you on? His. See, the whole thing wraps around you and I, and it all wraps around the idea that he's thinking about you, he knows who you are, he knows your name, and not only that, he's calling your name. He's calling your name and he's calling my name. He's speaking to us all the time. Be open. Because the question isn't whether or not he's speaking. The question really truly is, am I listening? 
Because too many times in this world, in our busyness, we go about our, our day and we don't ever listen. We usually don't try to listen until the very end when we've tried to do everything we know to do. See, when we've exhausted all of our efforts, when we've gone through all the things that we know to do, then we sit down and say, oh, God, I need you. Can you help me out? Now, in his graciousness, he does. But I'm telling you, it would be a whole lot easier to get that instruction and to hear those words for him before we get ourselves out there somewhere trying to do it in our own strength. In John, in chapter 10, it's the story really of the good shepherd. And as it says in verse 2 of John chapter 10, it says, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens. And it says the sheep not just hear his voice. It says the sheep hear his voice and the shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Then he knows everything about you. He's created you in your mother's womb from the beginning of time. You can read it in Psalm 139. We don't have time probably at the moment to go through that and read that. But it says he formed you. See, he formed you and your inward parts when you were yet in your mother's womb. And then it goes on and it says at the end of that, that passage in, in Psalms 139, it says that he has fashioned all of your days before you ever lived one. The whole deal, though, is will I listen, will I hear, and will I obey the call? Will I make the trade and give up my life for his? Or will I try to live my life both with my $5 and my Batman? But we do. And all he's asking us is, will we give up our life? Will we answer his call as he calls out to each one of us? He's calling your name. And he's calling my name. But you're the one who determines if you hear or not. Think about it at home. Husbands, we're pretty good at this. Because our wives talk to us a lot. They have a lot more words than we do. How, how many of them do you really hear? How many times after you have not heard, maybe heard but not listened, how many times do you realize at the end of that conversation that it was important? And you begin to stress a bit because you know you're going to have to do the unthinkable. You're going to have to say, sorry, honey. I wasn't listening. If you're in other rooms, it works out great. You know, the blow dryer was going, the toilet flushed. I couldn't hear you. Sorry. Yeah, you could. You just didn't want to listen. But when you're like face to face and you're talking and you know, you realize about two seconds into that one, oh man, she's already, oh, I got no escape. Jesus, as he spoke and as he taught, you know, he taught in parables and he said, let them with ears, let them hear. Basically saying, I am, I am sharing, I am teaching, I am, I am pouring out a truth here that each person needs in their life, but only those who hear it, will receive it. In the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, it's the, it's the parable where, where it says the sower sows the word. And we, we talk about it all the time. We share it. We read it. But the one thing I think I miss, I, you know, as I go through there, is the first part of each of those people. He goes through and he distinguishes a couple different type of people. And it says, those who hear the word are like. And then he describes us after we've heard the word. 
and how we receive it. That's why when I pray in the beginning of service anymore, I begin to pray. Father, I pray that we are good ground, that we have ears that are open to hear, and that as your seed goes forth into the good ground of our heart, that it grows up a harvest in our life, that it's not choked out by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and all those things that are written there in Mark chapter 4. See, he says it's important. The things that are going on around you, the things that are happening, the things that the pastor is preaching and speaking at church, the things that the Spirit is speaking to you in your heart, in your quiet time, maybe as you're driving down the road or at work, those things are important. And if you have ears to hear, let you hear. It's important. He's calling your name. He's calling my name. But the question really that we all come to in the end is, will I listen? Will I hear the thing that you're saying to me? It says the prodigal woke up that day in Luke in chapter 15. It says the prodigal woke up, it said, and he realized that the mess his life was in, that he had squandered all the goodness that, that his father had given him. And that when he realized that even the servants had it better at his father's house, it said that he arose and he went back home to find the father. We say that he came to his senses is what we usually say. How about he finally heard? He finally heard the master or the Lord or his father calling his name because it says that his master saw him, his father saw him when he was even a great distance off coming back. What does that mean? His father was keeping an eye out for him. His father was thinking about his lost son. I believe his father was probably praying for and speaking the name of his son. Wouldn't you? See, when your children aren't right, when things aren't going well, when things are going down the wrong path, don't you, there's nothing you wouldn't do to have them come back into the fold. It's the same thing with our Father as He reaches out and as He continues to pray and intercede for you and for me. In Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 and, and, and verses 20, it really speaks and says, hear the instructions. It says in the first, the first verse of chapter 4 of Proverbs, hear the instructions of the Father. Why is that important? Because he's pouring out stuff. He's calling your name. He's speaking to you about situations. He's speaking to you about what to do. He's giving you wisdom. In Proverbs 4, verse 20, it says, Give attention to my words, and it says, Incline your ear to my saying. Incline your ear. Are you listening? Now, I think sometimes we want to hear an audible voice, and we want God to say, Please go right. You know, I mean, we want something like that. We want, you know, like I've said before, we want the dog to come up and tell me, you know, if the dog, if my dog, Maisie, came up and told me what to do, I would probably say, okay, God, you know, I would, I would do that. Uh, that's not really how he, you know, he's speaking to us and he's leading us by the still small voice on the inside of us. But be alert and be awake because God will spark you and he'll show you things as you go. I'm going to show you a video in a few moments, and Corey showed it to me about four weeks ago or five weeks ago. And as soon as he showed it, I didn't have to go more than about two or three two or three seconds into the deal. And I said, that's it. That's the Easter thing. It's he knows our name. Now you're praying up to that point, but right when God brings that confirmation and you see that thing, you know instantly on the inside of you that that's God. He's speaking to me. And he's not just speaking to me as the pastor. He's speaking to you as well. And why is it so important to hear the words of the Father? Why is it so important to incline our ear to his sayings? In verse 22 it says, for they are life to those who find them and health to all of their flesh. He doesn't want anything to happen to you. 
He doesn't want anything to go wrong in your life. He doesn't want you to have hurt and pain. He doesn't want you to have to go through relationship struggles. He doesn't want to have to go through health issues. He doesn't want you to have to go through uh, things in your life where, where you're financially distraught. He, does, he has provided for us in every possible way in his word as we learn and have a revelation of it and put it to practice in our life. He has provided a way for us to escape all of that. But we have to be open to his word. We have to understand it. We have to know it. And first, we have to hear it. Right? It says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Are you listening? That's the question I have for you today. That's the question that I have for me. See, he longs for a relationship with each one of us. And he's calling your name just like he's calling mine. But in the end, really, truly... We have to determine, will we hear him? Will we listen? And will we respond? Before I show you this video, there's a story in 1 Samuel, in chapter 3. And it's the story of, of, of little boy Samuel. And he's, he's, he's in the house of Eli. And he's a young boy. And how many of you know? God, God knows your name. He knows where you are. He knows everything about you. We've moved from the Old Testament to the New Testament now, so he can do this, he can speak this way to each one of us, not just the priest and not just the prophet like he did in the Old Testament. But here is this little boy, and he's laying down that night, and it says, as you read the passage, and it's verses 1 through 10 of Samuel chapter 3, and it says that Eli was, was, was quiet in the evening, and Samuel was laying down and had his head down, and it said he heard Eli call his name. And so he got up, he said Eli called him, so he went out to Eli and he said, here I am, what did you need? And Eli said, son, I didn't, I didn't call you. You need to you go, go on back to bed. I, I, wasn't the one, I didn't call you. But it says that he heard him call. And so he went back and he, he put his head down. And a second time he heard. said he heard. And it doesn't say that the Lord called him. Doesn't say, it just says that he heard Eli call him. So he got up and he heard it again. And he goes out there and he says, but Eli, I, I'm right here. Hey, <laughs> what are you messing with me for? And Eli said, I, I, I didn't call you. And he said, what do you mean? He said, this is what you need to do, Samuel. He said, it's the Lord who's calling you. He said, go back and lay your head down. And when you hear it again, this is what you say. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so he went and he laid back down. And that's the point in the story, as you gather down around the, the verses 9 and 10. As you gather down there, it says, And the Lord called Samuel. Samuel. See, he not only knew his name, he wanted to talk to him. And he called his name. And Samuel stood up and said, just what Eli told him to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So I ask you today, as he calls out, not just knows your name, didn't just come to recover for you in your life, didn't just come to recover you or your lost friend. Not only did he come to start the trade, but for you to complete it. He came to call your name, and will you answer, really truly answer the call? Will you listen as he calls out your name? We hope you've been encouraged, strengthened, and challenged in your walk with Jesus. If you need prayer for situations in your life, we encourage you to email us at prayer at victorylafayette.org or call our offices at 765-447-7777. If you desire to make Jesus the Lord of your life, 
or if you have drifted away from the relationship you once had, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me today. Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I receive the forgiveness for all my sins. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you come into my life and empower me to live a victorious life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.